Smith speaks righteous. Sister Cena says funky. How bizarre. How bizarre. How bizarre. Welcome back to the, uh, well, the top of the fourth in tonight's Capital Sports. I am Alan Moore and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far this evening. Uh, Okay, uh, some score updates from the UEFA Nations League. That game has finished between Turkey and Russia. It ended 3-2 to the Turks. Um, Also, uh, Georgia... They have fallen at home to Armenia 2-1. Belarusia have won 2-0 against neighbours Lithuania. That uh, Holland-Bosnia uh, game finished 3-1. Bulgaria have lost 2-1 at home to Finland. Albania 3-1 winners against Kazakhstan and Ireland. Oh, God. Ireland, who uh, had a man sent off, they lost 1-0 away to Wales. Right, folks, um, one issue that we have discussed before uh, on this show and on Capital Sports 2.0 during lockdown um, is, well, let's just say brain damage. 
Now, of course, many people say that I have brain damage. Uh, on plus seven nine two five one 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 zero five three, I got a message in saying, like, you know, Alan, are you crazy? Have you gotten too many punches to the head? Uh, when I was talking about, um, for example, you know, Russia, uh, you know, thinking that they might actually get out of the group in the uh, Euros next year. So, um, brain damage. Okay, brain damage, concussion, and so on and so forth. We see it very, very many times when players get a bang in the head and they stand up and they play on and the crowd roar. And I know as a player, you know, even when I was boxing, like when a player get a bang in the head, get knocked out, and you get up and you want to play on. And you can con people, not all the time, but some of the time, and that's enough to end up in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble, especially further down the line. We know all about the... Um, the chronic encephalopathy that we've seen in the concussion syndrome uh, in uh, American football, the same happening in rugby, in soccer. We have had um, you know former players diagnosed with early onset dementia because of heading footballs and so on and so forth. Um, we've always had this like wet brain or you know sort of punch drunk syndrome in boxing, where you know kind of you slur your speech, your your motor skills are not that great. I've seen it with Xboxers. It's a sad situation. I do believe it's getting better, but it was told to me um, many, many years ago when I was, I think it was 22, and I was in uh, one of the, the Irish Championships, and I was dancing around, and I got caught, I think, once or twice, but I still won the fight. And I was like, I'm not going to end up punch drunk like the guy I fought, who was just like taking punches to the face nonstop. Um, and the guy said, doesn't matter if you take 20 punches, it's one punch can rattle your brain enough that you end up with concussion. To speak about that and some of your issues in around that, especially in uh, football and, of course, rugby as well, I'm delighted to be joined by Isild Cody, Andrew Flint, and, of course, a great friend of the show and one of the top sports writers in the business, Peter Staunton of Gold.com. I'm going to start off with Isild. Isild, um, concussion and your know, brain injury, you were looking at it from a, a rugby point of view. Um, what, what have you found? So I suppose rugby being a collision sport, they have been under a huge obligation to try and take steps to actively deal with the concussion crisis in their sport because it is a crisis. And I suppose all sports are learning from the NFL where litigation has essentially led to them all now looking at this in a much more serious light and realising player welfare is the primary concern. So World Rugby in particular have taken steps with putting in guidelines across the board um, to do with HIAs, removal of a player, graduated return to play. So when you've suffered a head injury, because it's a, this is a brain injury now, let's just, concussion makes it, it, while it is the term, it sounds less serious when you say, oh, someone got a concussion or a head knock. It's a traumatic brain injury. So when they suffer concussion, there are graduated return to plays. You have to go through certain protocols before you can go back into the field. Um, over the years, we've seen a lot of examples, perhaps some of the few that pop to mind quickest are George North and um, Brian O'Driscoll, where we've seen players who've been quite visibly concussed on the field and in some instances have played on. But the culture is changing more and more in rugby. And I think this is a big thing as an organisation, World Rugby and as a sport, rugby and its commentators are now pushing away from people suggesting when they see someone going off the field for a HIA that the game is going soft or all these rules are changing to tackle laws for unnecessary reasons or to soften up the game and it's not the traditional sport. The reason they're changing is because they're looking at the evidence and looking where the most head injuries occur and changing the rules according to the medical advice 
to try and safeguard the players. You can't get rid of head injuries in a collision sport. You can't get rid of head no. injuries in boxing. No. These are they're part of they're part of the sport. So what you have to do instead is you have to mitigate and do your best to ensure player welfare within the rules of the game and when they're coming back that they've had ample time to rest and to recover. Exactly. And, no, and again, the brain doesn't recover. The, you know, brain cells don't go back. We we know that. That's just a, a, a scientific fact. You, you know, uh, Andrew Flint, um, to you right away, you were having a look at it because, of course, one of the uh, legends of English football, of course, the Manchester United football, the World Cup winner, Bobby Charlton, has recently been diagnosed with um, dementia as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I think, for me, the, the, the key part of this um, that you sort of mentioned there was the attitude of the game's gone soft and there's still plenty of people who have that attitude. And I think that is almost the most damaging part of it. Um, I mean, OK, uh, Sir Bobby Charlton was known for heading the ball as many players back then were. And there are instances, famous instances, Jeff Astle probably is the one that sticks out because I would say back in what 2002 when... Um, he was uh, he was diagnosed with um, brain trauma uh, posthumously. That attention really grew because before that, I don't think anybody really paid a great deal of attention to head injuries, not seriously enough. Um, and the the attitude of man up is something I heard from our school when I was playing. Um, I remember when I was when I was having coaching from under tens level. We were taught how to head the ball, but we were taught to go in for headers. And at the same time, it was almost a, a virtue to be seen to be a powerful header of the ball. And there is no ignoring the fact that there is a link. There's, there was a study by the University of Glasgow a few years ago that showed um, well, over the sample that they took that footballers, professional footballers are three and a half times more likely to develop dementia, brain trauma um, than than people of their own age, but it's still a it's not a it's not a clear link that can be absolutely guaranteed. There are lifestyle of, um, aspects that affect it, such as um, smoking, drinking, the weight of your body. But there is certainly something that needs to be looked at. And for me, the most damaging part is the attitude towards physical contact that needs to be more educated. I would say. Okay, no, again, that thing of man up or like, you know, I remember one time getting carried off the field and people turned around and saying, Jesus, you're weak in a hurling match. Got like, I got absolutely clocked, knocked out unconscious, um, you know, and then the people saying, get up and play on, there's nothing wrong with you, you know? And uh, only when I took off my helmet and started vomiting on the field, they realised there might be something wrong after all. Um, Peter, going straight away to you, you had a brilliant thing about Taylor Twellman from the uh, US man, men's national team. Um, and, I mean, growing up in Mayo, where, you know, uh, let's just say, the, 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 the women, the, the men are hard, the women are even harder. Um, there was no quarter given, where, even in school ground play game, uh, games. No, I think it's... Um Anybody who's who's played uh, soccer, as we call it, Mayo, anybody who's played football uh, around the world knows that from a very early age, as Andrew said, you're encouraged to get up, head the ball, um, without really taking any consequence to your safety. It's you know, I think it's it's an afterthought. I think it comes down to that if somebody rolls an ankle or pulls a hamstring or breaks a leg, then you know there's uh, they can't play on. You know, because their their tools are not working. The tools that they need to play football are not working. But if somebody has their brain rattled around in their head, and we saw it in the World Cup final with Christoph Kramer in 2014, 
the encouragement from the sidelines is not, okay, let's take our player out of the game here and make sure that he's okay and that, you know, he can go on and live his life. The reaction is, can we get him back in the game? And this is Christoph Kramer in a World Cup finally. He collided with Ezekiel Garay uh, against Argentina. He can't remember the World Cup finally. He can't remember having the medal around his neck. Now, for me, that is negligent. Um, I think it's 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 bordering on the maniacal. I mean, you get yourself into a situation where you're valuing what these guys can do rather than what these guys are worth as people. And since that point, I mean, I spoke to Taylor about that, about the 2014 World Cup. I've I've spoken to Taylor quite a bit about about, uh, these uh, traumatic brain injuries. And he was disappointed in 2014 because he knew that well, you know, the way the FIFA and the game in general looked at these traumatic brain injuries was, was not very advanced. But from 2014 on, he thought from having an example in the World Cup final, well, at least we can do something about it. And then what happens? 2018 rolls around. In the World Cup semi-final, Blaise Matuidi gets hit by Eden Hazard and he tries to get up and play on. Early on in the group stage, uh, Morocco against Iran, Norden Amrabat, um, he gets knocked out. Uh, and yet he is back on the field wearing one of those uh, Peter Cech style uh, caps five days later. Now, FIFA protocols at that stage said that he should be sitting out for at least six days. And his manager, who was uh, Herve Renard, who's a, a very well-renowned uh, French manager, he said, oh, he's a warrior. He wanted to get back in the game. But I'm sorry, those decisions should not be taken from a coaching staff, they should be taken not by team officials either or team doctors. They should be mandated from FIFA doctors to say, okay, the guy is out of the game and he's out for the next six days, quite simply. And I, and Taylor said this to me, and unfortunately, Alan, we're not going to see this legislated for at FIFA level until somebody dies on the field. This is it. And when you had, like in Northern Ireland, when a young rugby player, because I'm passing this back now to, to Eastolt, a young schools player drops dead because, you know, he wanted to get back out in the field and no one told him to stay off the field and he drops dead. Uh, a young lad, 16 years of age. Um, Eastolt, um, we see, for example, Ireland's Johnny Sexton, 35 years of age. Uh, I look at the man and, you know, it, it's worrying the amount of because of bad tackling technique especially, not just bravery, but bad tackling um, technique, he has suffered a lot of concussions and he's targeted by opposition as well and they bury into him and drive his head into the ground. Um, is, is rugby doing enough to protect players in this? And maybe we should be saying to the players, look, you might be a great player, but it's time to hang up the boots. Um, well, we've seen, I suppose, when you mention. Ben Robinson, it's a very frightening prospect. And this is the kind of thing that puts the young boy who died in Northern Ireland. This is He was on the field, um, received one head knock, and it was the second knock that essentially ended his life, which is the fear when players play on, just to emphasise that point. With players, we're seeing more and more retirements as a result of multiple concussions, and that's just a reality. We're seeing it at different levels of the game. I think what we need to see is the continued enforcement of what may seem to some to be harsh penalizations because the more you penalize and the more you say this behavior is not okay this tackle technique won't work the more you stamp out certain types of behavior that are viewed as the riskiest to cause concussion so basically what you have to do is you have to change the behavior in the game and you have to change that culture of suggesting the hard man plays on yeah and that Go from grassroots up. Everyone needs to change that attitude. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there is that thing of like the, the warrior has to be carried out in a shield, but carried out in a coffin is a completely different thing. Um, Andrew Flint, um, 
looking at, say, for example, in 2018 in America, in the, uh, the, the, the American Journal of Neuro- Neurological Sciences, uh, looking at brain injuries or head injuries uh, related to recreation. So sports and recreation, for example, all these activities. Cycling tops the list with 64,000. These are people presenting to um, emergency centers uh, or, you know, outpatients or sort of um, emergency clinics or ER, emergency rooms in North America. And then you've got, of course, American football, basketball, uh, soccer is you know kind of down i think in fourth or fifth place um but is that underestimating the damage being done in football in soccer i should say well i think i think what uh, what you sort of saying about rugby being well, being a contact sport is a fairly obvious um place to start i guess if you're looking at uh, instances in sport and you know football soccer um isn't as obvious, but that I think is the key point. Uh, and I, I think what Peter brought up was absolutely critical point to make. The decisions being made to keep players on the pitch in whatever sport it is should not be made by those with an emotional connection to the, the what's happening on the pitch, on the field of play, whatever the sport is. It has to be made by um, the medical professional because it's a medical matter. It's not a sporting matter. The emotion gets into it and the decisions instantly start changing. Um, so, is it underplaying um, the effect in football? I think, I think certainly it is to a degree, um, and, I th- and I think education is the way to start, as it is with so many things in sport. And um, the emotion can overtake common sense. And with football, people are so used to seeing players, uh, players go into challenges, and you hear the loud cheer of somebody putting his body on the line. But is that what we should be cheering? Should yeah. we be educating people as to exactly? effect it's having. Okay, uh, Peter, I'm going to leave the last word to you. Um, I'm going to ask you a simple question, okay? So we've seen that like FIFA are not doing enough. Um, we, we can put the responsibility to players, onto coaches, onto doctors, team doctors, independent doctors and so on and so forth. Um, why are we so fascinated with seeing our heroes stand up? Because, of course, English fans would remember of a certain age, Terry Butcher. We'd always think, um, you know, the central defender with like a blood-soaked bandage around his head. We think of players getting off stretchers to go back into the game and we cheered them and we loved them. Why are we so fascinated with this, Peter, when we ourselves, are we ready to do that? I, Alan, I think it's I think it's culture. I think it's because one generation grows up with it as normal, and then the next generation accepts that uh, that sort of cultural hand me down of this is just the way things are done. Now, to be brave, you you know you have to make a call against it. Um, and you know we saw it a few years ago. There was um, there was a lawsuit against U.S. soccer brought up by the American Youth Soccer Organization. Um, parents and players uh, who who wanted to ensure that that the game of soccer in the U.S. was going to do enough. Um, to protect children in particular against brain injuries. Now, according to that, according to that lawsuit, around 50,000 concussions were suffered by high school and collegiate players, uh, soccer players, during 2010 alone. And that was, they said, more than the total number for players of baseball, basketball, softball and wrestling combined. And a study that came out uh, five years later from the Purdue University revealed that the impact of heading a goal kick was equivalent to a hit in American football or a punch uh, inside uh, the, the, the boxing ring. Now, what came out of that? Heading was banned for players up to under 11 in U.S. soccer. And the under 12 and the other 13 age groups should be limited to a maximum of 30 minutes head of training uh, per week and no more than 15 to 20 uh, headers. Now... How far will that go? And in 50 years' time, will we see a senior soccer match or a football match anywhere else around the world with no heading? 
Alan, it would change the way uh, we engage with football forever. But for me, I think that's the way we need to go. Um, I wrote an article a few years ago for Goal uh, that called for the FIFA to introduce a heading ban at some stage for senior level. And I got absolutely ridiculed for it from pillar to post. But I do think in 50 years time, we might look back and think, how the hell did we let it go on so long? Listen, on that note, thank you very much, uh, Peter. Peter's going to be staying with us and coming back, of course, in the next segment uh, when we speak about Goal 50 winners. Um, thank you, Eastold and Andrew, for that. Eastold and Andrew will be back, of course, for the Big Five Filthy Quiz. We're going to get to the break right now uh, with Timmy Trumpet and Freaks. Um, a lot to, to digest in that, but I know that we're going to get this together. So back at the break with more Peter Staunton. Capital Sports with Alan Moore. Умные часы или даже крутой смартфон? Нет, уже 12. 
Все просто. Подпишись на инстаграм Capital FM. Лайкни пост с анонсом главного приза недели и отметь под ним пятерых друзей. Поздравляем, ты стал участником розыгрыша. Далее лови подсказки в эфире и получи шанс выиграть один из главных призов. Не получилось? Не расстраивайся. Есть еще куча поощрительных каждый день. Подробности акции на сайте capitalfm.moscow и в наших соцсетях. Не является публичной офертой. Welcome back, folks. After that, um, very, very interesting conversation with our three experts. Uh, again, it's something parents, if, if you see your kids, if you get a bang in the head playing sport, whatever it may be, don't take a chance. I mean, don't wrap them up. Um, we, all, we all get bangs in the head, some worse than others. But, you know, do try to look out and make sure that, uh, you know, if they're not feeling well, don't let them back in the field. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm as guilty as anybody else. But at the same time, if I see an injury, I go, Oof, you know, and pull the person back as well. Uh, there, you know, lower body injuries or even upper body injuries. But when it comes from like, you know, neck and above, uh, no point in taking a chance. Of course, people will try to play up on that and, you know, kind of like uh, gammon and so on and so forth. But you know what? They'll find their place and uh, they'll be found out. But the most important thing is look after yourselves and, like, you know, kids especially because they need to be educated in this and have to, to, to do an awful lot better. Now, of course, uh, before we go back to Peter Staunton, um, all of those games are still ongoing. There's only halftime, won the games. Almost halftime in uh, Carolina. The Panthers 17-7 against the Buccaneers. 17-17, sorry. Uh, the Giants could get win number three on the season. They are 14-3 up at halftime against the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, <clears throat> the Packers are 14-10 up against the awful Jaguars. The Lions are 14-3 up against Alexander Zotov's Washington football team. And it's still 3-0. It's like a soccer score uh, between the Browns and the Texans. Okay, so um, straight back to uh, Peter Staunton. Peter, uh, before we, I ask you about goal 50, I want to say, will we be seeing the, re- the green and red of Mayo in Crow Park and having a great <laughs> Christmas gift? Because they won very well today against a decent Galway team. It was a, a good win. Um, I think it's number 47 in Connacht. Um, but, you know, that counts for very little uh, considering the amount of time it's been since we have actually won the big one. So, you know, we just have to wait and see. But um, winners of Munster next week. And, um, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, if you're going to catch Dublin on the hop, I think this is the year to do it. So, fingers crossed that we can uh, finally get over the line. I, I mean, again, as a, as a Dubliner... I, you know, I, I really hope that Mayo do it because they've, they've, they've come so close. They've got great players, amazing fans who are so dedicated. And I was there last year when they won the National League, like a league title, which was, you know, something that, you know, they were so happy with it. And they, they stood and they sung and they were so happy. Now, we are talking about Gaelic football, but um, the emotions that it, it, it builds, especially in a time of COVID in Ireland, when you've got huge stadiums with nobody in them, but still... It, it brings it alive for us at home. Um, how, how happy would you be if they were to uh, break the jinx? Um, it, would be, it would be the single most significant sporting achievement by any team that I had any sort of attachment to. Um, I don't think I would even, I wouldn't be able to contain the tears, I don't think, if, if Mayo brought home the All-Ireland. It would mean more to me Mayo winning All-Ireland than Ireland winning the World Cup. Um, yeah. You know, the, the, the people that have lived and died and hoped... Um, for us to end the jinx, end the hoodie, whatever it may be. And I've just not seen it, you know. And 
not just myself. I mean, I wouldn't be the, even the most passionate Gaelic football fan uh, anywhere. I mean, we're not, we don't come from we come from a soccer family in Castlebar rather than a Gaelic football family. But when I just think of what it would mean for the people that I know, it, it fills me with emotion. And I, I, I just I, I hope that it can happen in my lifetime. Um, and it would always make me uh, emotional <laughs> if I ever thought about Mayo winning All Ireland. It's it would be absolutely huge. I can hear it in your voice right now. I'm not joking. I can hear because it is. You hear the tight tightening in the throat. Um, okay, listen. I want to straight away uh, ask you about the goal fifty because I, I I looked at the whole thing of it. It was announced last week, of course, in London on uh, Monday. Tell us about it and how did it come about and how were the fifty best players, twenty five male, twenty five female, how were they chosen, Peter? Okay, so we, we yeah we did the gold fifty. So this is the thirteenth edition that we've done. Uh, for the goal 50, which is ranking the, the 50 best players in the world, the top 25 men and the, and the top 25 women. Um, so basically, we've got uh, editorial teams. We've got something like, I think, 44 language, 44 editions um, around the world, and we publish in 18 languages. So you can imagine the size of the team that, that, that we employ and that we engage on a freelance basis and whatnot. You're into over 500 people. So every year after the Champions League final, more or less, so once the, the European season comes to a close, we ask them, Write down your, your top 25 men uh, of the season. We, we do have a dedicated uh, women's football specialist, Amy. She's absolutely fantastic. And we kind of leave the bulk of the heavy lifting on the women's side to her because uh, a lot of the ed- uh, editorial teams that we have around the world they just don't engage with women's football in the same way. But for the men's side, uh, everybody's got an opinion on that. So basically, they write down number 1 to 25. Your number 1 gets 25 points. Your number, your number 25 gets 1 point. And then we divide the votes um, on that basis across the world on, you know, something like 500 people. Every year we do it. Um, and usually uh, the cream rises to the top and everybody's quite satisfied with, with, with who ends up winning it. Um, this year, I, like you've got two outstanding people there at the top of the pile. Tell us a bit about them. Who won the men's, who won the women's? Okay, well, um, the winner of the of, of, of the women's goal fifty this year for the second time was Pernille Harder, who's a Danish international um, who is now playing for Chelsea. I think she went for a world record free from Wolfsburg, where she did most of her work last season, Champions League final, and I think they ended up winning the treble in the or the double in the in the German league as well. And she she is sort of leading a generation of what I would say, if you remember sort of the early 90s in the Premier League when you had your Ruud Hullets and, and and people like that beginning to emerge into the into the men's game, into the Premier League. And the same thing has happened in the women's game just now. So Pernil has come in. We've had Tobin Heath and, and Kristen Press who've come in to, to play for Man United. We've had Sam Lewis uh, to Manchester City. Rose Lavelle has come to the league as well. Um, of course, Alex Morgan gone to Spurs, probably the biggest women's name in the world. So there seems to be this influx of talent coming to supplement the great women's talent that was already in the English game. And I just think over the next few years, depending on, on, on how COVID plays out and whether uh, the women's season can get under, back underway in America next year, uh, we could see for a while sort of a transfer of that, of that um, exposure for women's football. It might move slightly from America to England for the next few years. And Pernille, uh, a fantastic uh, player, uh, she will spearhead that. Um, just on on that, I mean, of course, as you said, like she went uh, in the summer from Wolfsburg to Chelsea. Uh, yeah, Harder went, and um, the reporting, for example, today on um, the BBC, BBC main landing page has a single story related to female sports, and the headline of it for for this for um, for Pernille and her her partner Magdalena uh, Magda Eriksson, it's 
Pernil Harder or Pernil Harder and Magdalena Eriksson, Chelsea's football power couple, and they have the picture mm. of the the uh, post match kiss that they shared, and it's like you know they're teammates, partners, and among the best. They, they've kind of gone almost like a titillation. Um, but goal has stepped away from that. You're reporting to football. You're treating them as professionals, as footballers. Um, do you think that you know if if more media report like goal, that maybe there will be a kind of more of a balance and that kind of breakthrough for women's football? I, I think it's made its breakthrough, Alan, and I think the I think legacy media sometimes I, I think they'll be the last to pick up on the fact that that women's football has made that breakthrough. But certainly at the grassroots level, we see great engagement with women's football across our platforms, across our social, uh, uh, across our site as well. Um, and uh, you know everything is done. I think with a little bit of a friendlier face in women's football at the minute. You know, I mean, reaching out to clubs for interviews or players or anything like that. You know, it's a, it's a breath of fresh air compared to sometimes the stonewalling you get. Um, in the men's game. But don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we've touched on Pernille's story too. I mean, we had an interview with her this week and, you know, she carries herself as a bit of um, an LGBT icon as well. Um, you know, obviously they shared that kiss. I think it was in, was it in, in, at, at the World Cup in France yeah. a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she herself would bring attention to something like that because, you know, she's kissing her partner after the game and, you know, more power to her. Uh, but, you know, we do delve into the lifestyle stuff on the men as well. I mean, if there was a, a power couple or a story to be done on some of the off, off-field stuff with the men's game, we, we, we would touch that as well. But for the most part, yeah, we reported very, very straight on the women's football. You know, it's what's happening in the matches. It's what's happening with the managers, what's happening on the tactical front, any big transfers coming in, what the U.S. women's national team is doing. Because they're, they're a bigger draw than the men, if I'm perfectly honest with you, because they've got a bit of success behind them. So, you know, there are personalities in the women's game. There's outstanding talent. I mean, you talk to any Arsenal fan and, you know, the most talented and the most decorated player to have at the club, men or women, is Vivian uh, Medima. Uh, the, the Dutch forward. She finished second on the goal 50 this year, but you know I'll certainly think that she'd be coming back for a gold medal on that uh, oh. sometime soon. So we're happy to, to to cover women's football. We see the great uptake that it's that it has, and and to be honest, it's been a pleasure for me to learn about it over these last few years as well. There you go. And I mean, again, like you know, when, when you've got daughters, when you've got you know young daughters, <laughs> you kind of go, yeah, I, you know, there, there there should be a space for these you know girls to actually have icons because again, I've asked different players, like female players here, uh, and not just here, but I've asked them like, who who's your favorite player? And immediately they go Ronaldo, Messi. They you know, and and they rarely ever say a female player, like you know, a woman's player. Mm-hmm. So you know, there is that kind of. You know, how much do you push? But then as more people become icons, of course, then they'll be recognisable. But again, it's down to us in the media to report on it. Now, in the men's side, it was, I can't say it was a surprise, but it was something that did actually catch the eye, the number one in the men's uh, uh, section. It was, um, with no further ado, it was uh, Robert Lewandowski, a Poland striker um, who plays for Bayern Munich. Um, no surprise there. He won the treble for Bayern last season, DFB Pokal, Bundesliga and Champions League. And I believe I'm right in saying that he was a top scorer in all three. Something like uh, 47 matches, 55 goals. It was just an unbelievable season for Lewandowski. And I would say, when you look over the last decade or so, uh, maybe the last 15 years since uh, Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi started coming on the scene, I think it was probably the first Messi slash Ronaldo style season that any other player has had. Um, Lewandowski has got himself into that bracket this season with his goals and his all-round contributions for Bayern. So, for me, well-deserved. And I think, you know, we talk about the great strikers and maybe it, it's now an era in, in, in the game of football where we don't have those, you know, legendary number nines the way we had them going back, you know. I mean, the Premier League had an abundance of them in the 90s. But now I think the number nine is back, thanks to Robert Lewandowski. 
No, it's good to hear. I mean, if I, I, you, the same as me, grew up with number nines, like great, like, you know, visible number nines. So it's great to see someone like him back. Um, a, a, a couple of small things before, before we let you go. Uh, Peter, first question, uh, or first one is, uh, a death of, a, of an icon today. Ray Clemens passed away, age of 72. Now, I, he was already very, you know, like very, very famous when I was, you know, kind of knew who he was. He was almost come to the end of his career when I kind of was, you know, kind of really realized who he was. He was, you know, you know um, playing already, I think. Well, he was already playing with Liverpool at the end of his career and then went to Spurs. Uh, how big of an icon was he in English football? Absolutely huge. Um, you would say that he's he's probably one of the most um, probably the, um, one of the most decorated goalkeepers, one of the most decorated players. Um, I think three European cups he won he won with Liverpool, yep. um, five league titles as well. Um, it's a sad fight for him. Uh, I think he's been sick uh, with, with with cancer for for quite some time. Um, so you know it, it's a sad day for English football, and um, it's it's. Uh, one of those days where you can herald, um, you know, and, and actually speak about his legend, Ray Clemens' legend. Um, it's a shame, and we had it with Gordon Banks, and we had it, of course, with Jack Charlton not so long ago. It's a shame that these legends have to die before they get their day in, in, in the media, you know. Sometimes I feel that they're they're sitting there all the time, and, and nobody writes about them, nobody talks about them, and then they die, and all of a sudden we appreciate everything that they do. You know, it wouldn't have been nice if we named airports after people while they were still alive. Oh, I, you know, in the GAA, there's a rule you cannot le- uh, name a GAA club after a living person. You can't well, name you a stadium after a Why living not? person. It would mean an awful lot more to people if they could see it before they went on. Exactly. Wouldn't it be lovely? To go, like, I mean, you know, to, like such and such a stand or such and such a park or, you know, you know, na- name a team after a living person. I, I, I personally think, I, I agree with that. I think it's great. Uh, before we go away, um, can you tell us, because we, we spoke with this before a couple of years ago on the show, why have Mayo not won the All-Ireland in so long? What has caused them to be in the wilderness for, well, 70 years almost? Are you going to talk about, do you want me to talk about the jinx? Go on, you've got a minute and a half to tell me about the jinx, the curse. Okay, so the curse goes, so after Mayo won their last All-Ireland in 1951, uh, they were driving down uh, on a bus from Dublin back to Mayo. And um, usually in those days, there was a custom, well, there still is in Ireland, large parts of Ireland, where if there's a funeral hearse passing by, um, then the traffic will will pull over, let the hearse go by um, and, you know, to pay their respects. But in in this case, um, it actually passed a funeral cortege uh, on the way back uh, to try and get to Castle Bar for the celebrations. And as a result of that, um, there might have been an old... um, I don't know. There's a legend that says that a curse was put on them that day, that until all the members of that team are, uh, are passed away, that Mayo will never win in All-Ireland. I still think I still think there's one of them living, Alan. <laughs> okay. I mean, that guy is probably in like, uh, what's, the, what's the one in America when they put the L, oh, protective... It's uh, witness protection. Witness protection, <laughs> I'm telling you. Okay, listen, Peter, thank you so much for your time this evening. Um, as oh, always, a pleasure, Alan. brilliant. Peter, listen, you're the best of us. And look, we waited time to have you on uh, from now, but will you come back, say, the week after next to join us again? I'd be absolutely honoured. I, lo- I love coming on the show. I love having a chat with you, Alan, and, and uh, you know, engaging with all your... Uh, all your fans of the show. It's one of the best sports shows in Europe. Um, so I'm always, always delighted to be on it. Thank you so much, Peter Staunton. Let's just take care of yourself and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Bye-bye. Right. Okay, that was Peter Staunton. He is going to be back on in a couple of weeks because, again, he always has amazing content. One of the best football writers on the planet, bar none, and a brilliant editor as well. Okay, we're going to go to the break right now with the score. And aptly for Peter, this is legend. So back after the break with our Big Fat Filthy Quiz. 
folks to the final part of tonight's show we are of course going to have the big fat filthy quiz in just one moment lots of games kicking off this evening that i know that many of you will be interested in we'll just remind you of those hungary serbia that is kicking off in three minutes because of course if hungary win they go ahead of russia in the rankings uh in the league, uh, the group stage and you know serbia bottom of the table they're not going to do anything but if hungary win Russia then have to go to Belgrade uh, this week and win Italy, Poland, uh, Slovenia, Kosovo, Czech, Israel, Czechoslovakia, or Czech Republic against Israel, Denmark, Iceland, Belgium, England, 
Austria, Northern Ireland and Moldova and Greece. Again, that match earlier on, Russia ended up 3-2, 10-man Russia going down 3-2 in Istanbul against Turkey. Okay, so I'm going to go to the lines right now to see if our um, basket of, well, let's just say legends, if they are all online. So I'm going to go in turn because I'll, I'm going to read them out in uh, order that they're going to be taking part. Uh, Isil, you are there? I am. Lovely. Andrew Flint? Certainly am. Alex B? Alex B? Is Alex B there? Alex B? Alex B? Alex B, you're there? I see you on the screen, Alex B. I know you're there. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, Derek, you're there with us as well? Yeah, I am. Lovely. Double N, you're with us loud and clear? Uh, Yep, yep. Okay, and Andy Mack, also known as the Koala Man, you're there as well? Ready to be relegated. Oh, yes, this is group stage. I mean, you've had your win this week with Scotland. You know, you've had your time. That's it. Okay, uh, I just actually got uh, some messages in on the uh, last segment. And my, my, my own mother, who is from Dublin but has uh, allegiances with Wexford, says, Up Mayo. So that, not up May in a bad way, it means go on Mayo that they're going to win the All-Ireland. So I think Peter Staunton will be happy to hear that. Right, folks, we are going to go uh, round one, two and three. So the first one is Division 1 NCAA teams, so football teams, the college football teams. You have to give me their nickname, OK? So I'm going to start with Eastult, of course. Ladies first, Eastult, the UCLA what? The UCLA... I'm going to go with, I'm trying to think, what would you call? Oh, no, I do know this one. Well, then give me the answer. Bru- what? Bruins. Bruins, very good. Just like Boston. Brooms earlier. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Andrew, this is a handy one for you. The Notre Dame. Oh, uh, Fighting Irish. Good. Well done. Well done. <laughs> okay. Alex B. I know this is a speciality of yours. So, um... The Texas A and M. Texas A and M. Texas A and M bad boys. <laughs> Alex, this isn't the missing word. This isn't the one where you get the extra points for something funny. <laughs> okay, you don't. You, Texas A and M. Do you want to have a guess? Or about your stick with bad boys. Yeah, I'll stick with bad boys. Okay, you should have <laughs> twisted. It was the Aggies. The Aggies. Okay, uh, Derek, for you, the North Carolina. Um, I'm gonna go for like the North Carolina Wanderers. The what? Wanderers? Wanderers, no. No, no. Alex, Alex, do you know who the North Carolina? What is their nickname of their team? <laughs> I, don't, I really don't want to say bad boys again. <laughs> no, come on, you should North know it. Carolina. They're a famous basketball team. Uh, Tar Heels. Yes, well done, but you don't yeah. get a point for it. Well done. So uh, it was the Tar Heels. Well done. Okay. Uh, double N, the LSU. Um, Bears, maybe? I don't know. Let's try. <laughs> no, you should have tried Tigers. <laughs> okay. And finally, Andy Mack, the Blue, or sorry, blah, 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 the Duke, Duke University, North Carolina. Um,. I don't know. Trump lovers. <laughs> Trump lovers. <laughs> Did North Carolina go for Trump? 
Yeah. No idea. Can't, can't oh. remember. Okay, Isla says yes. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, yeah. Andy's working in the newsroom. He doesn't know which. Okay. All right. Okay, it's actually the Blue Devils. Blue Devils. Okay. Uh, that was a hard one. That was fair enough. So, uh, okay. Isolt, for you, the missing word. Harbaugh faces what at Michigan as what circle? Okay. So, I'm going to guess for the first part and the second part, but faces sack at Michigan as the Wolves or Wolverines. Oh, well done. Listen, it faces end game or sack. Um, Wolverines, Wolverine circle. So I would, um, it's not exact, but listen, out of four points, I'm going to give you three. Okay. Thanks. Happy that. There you go. Three points. Okay. Uh, Andrew Flint, for you. Now, your mom was listening, so no pressure on this one. I put baby urine in a fake in a what? <laughs> Two past drug tests. This is Mike Tyson, by the way, is a revelation uh, a week ago as brought to us by Easelt Cody. So he said, I put baby urine in a what to fake what to pass drug tests. Oh, God, I don't know. I put baby urine in a in a fanny pack to pass drug tests. <laughs> no. <laughs> Alex B, do you want to try it? He put fake urine in a what? He put urine, baby urine in a fake what? Alex B? No? No? Yeah, oh. yeah, I do. I do want to answer that. Go uh, on. It, oh, actually, no. Uh, no, okay. Uh, no, okay. Then just, a water cup. <laughs> no, not a water cup, right. That wasn't your question. Okay, and, Andrew, I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give you a point for that, okay? Because it, it, it... No, I'll give you two points. I'll give you two points, to be fair. Uh, it's a fake penis. Okay, to pass drug tests. So there you go. Nice. <laughs> I knew that you didn't know. You, didn't, you, you knew that, but you didn't want to answer with family listening. You're being very good. Well done. Right, Alex B, question for you. Um, Haaland, okay. Haaland calls on Nations fans to be what? This is about the Norwegian footballer, Haaland. He said he called Erling Haaland yeah. to be more what? To, to, be... Uh, to go ahead and lower their expectations. I'm going, to give, I'm going to give you two, Fred. It's actually be the opposite, more positive. I like that. Though. Well done, Alex. Alex, you're, you're, you're in there. Okay, he's still some four points, but you're on two, so still lots to play for. Okay, uh, Derek, for you, 17% um, of athletes admit to what? Uh, do I get extra points for answering this correctly? Yes, you do. Okay. Uh, I think they admit to doping. No, that's no, no, no. That's a good one, actually. It's a, it's a, it's a good answer. One that we would expect is actually a lot more than that. Um, but it is eating disorders. There you go. It's actually quite more serious. But listen, Derek, I'm going to give you two. Okay, I'll give you two for that. So you're 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 in the game. You're off. You're off the mark. Uh, now we go to double N. Double N. They told me I would never what. I told them to what. Um. I guess that it's about uh, Barcelona and Messi situation. So they told me I'll never leave the team, and I told them to wait for for the winter transfer or summer transfer. You've been too good and too polite. I'm going to give you two for it, but actually, it's it's it, it's one that was from uh, supposedly from Messi. You're correct. This was oh. on Marca, and he said they told me I would never play again. I told them to beep off. Okay. 
So there you go. That right. you never play again. If you didn't see out his contract, they would like you know uh, mess him around. Okay, Andy Mack, I think you're back with us. Uh, you're there chewing on some menthol yeah. leaves, I guess. Um, uh, Turkish fans prepare what welcome for Russia? This is of course today's game. This was in Hriet, the uh, newspaper, uh, as reported on many different websites. So, Turkish fans prepare what welcome for Russia? Anton's Uber Risty welcome. Oh, jeez. No. <laughs> I should give you minus two for that, but I'm going to give you... Um, to be fair, to be fair, I'm going to give you two because we say it's a joke, but okay. We're, we're, poor, like, you know, we, we've been very, very kind with our children. We're trying to, like, keep it uh, decent with them. And I mean, uh, okay. No, it's actually unholy. Unholy welcome. There you go. Unholy welcome. Uh, at their hotel, by the way. It was at their hotel. So, right. Finally, uh, this is on Moscow Clubs. Number three is Moscow Clubs. So these are uh, facts. All right. Uh, starting off with Easels. Uh There are four Moscow okay, city clubs in the Russian Premier League. True or false? I'm going to go with in the Russian Premier League. Yeah. I shall go with uh, true. There's probably four or more. Yeah, you are correct. There are four. Well done. Great. Yeah. yeah. So there's four. There's actually five, including him, because they're in Pod Moscovia. So we said Moscow City Clubs. Okay. Um, Andrew Flint, okay, against all Moscow City Clubs. So there are 12 Moscow teams in professional football in the top three tiers. True or false? Uh, are we talking specifically Moscow City or Moscow, Moscow City? Moscow City, yeah, not region. Uh, 12 in professional football. I'm going to say false in Moscow City. You should have said true. You should have said true. Oh, bloody yeah, bloody because bloody. there's anyone inside the MCAD count, like Strogino, for example. Okay, uh, ah. so there you go. Uh, Alex B, there are how many reserve or double or second teams in the Pro League from Moscow? Is it two or three? Two or three teams in the Pro Leagues. It's a two. It's oh well. It's a two-team league. No, no. Is nah, there two nah. reserve teams? So like the the Dublia, uh, this the second team. Right, I'll, I'll go ahead and say three. Listen, you said right. Well done, Alex. Well done. You are you are saved from relegation for next week. Thank you. <laughs> well done. You're safe. Right. Um, okay. And now we go to Derek. Derek, who has yeah. won more combined USSR and Russian titles, top league titles? Dinamo. Or Siska? Who has won more combined titles? Dinamo or Siska? Uh, Siska. Well done. Well done. You are correct. They have won 13. Well done. Okay. Uh, double N. Torpedo and Lokomotiv have won the same number of league titles when you combine the USSR and the Russian Premier League. Is that true or false? So Torpedo Moscow and Lokomotiv Moscow have won the same number of titles. It's false, I think. It is true. It is true. I'm sorry about that. Okay. Ooh, Andy, now you need to get this to avoid relegation. So um, get your mental leaves chewing. The oldest pro football club in Moscow is Rodina or Siska. Rodina or Siska? Um, I'm going to go with Rodina. You should have gone with Siska. Rodin were set up in 2016. <laughs> Siska were set up in 1911. So, facing relegation, 
facing relegation, we have Double N and Andy Mack. And the winner this evening on a whopping nine points is Isolde Cody. Isolde, well done. Thank you. I I can tell you that my Sundays are actually very dull because all I do is plan to beat these. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right, folks. Listen, um, a quick question. I'm going to ask you all very, very quick. You have to win, lose or draw on this one for this evening. Okay. Game has kicked off 10 minutes in. Hungary and Serbia are playing. Who is going to win? Isolt, Hungary or Serbia or is it going to be a draw? A riveting one-all draw. Draw. Okay. Andrew Flint? Hungary are going to win this, definitely. Hungary, okay. Uh, Alex B? Uh, what was the other option? <laughs> Hungary, Serbia, or a draw? <laughs> or a tie? Serbia. Serbia. <laughs> Serbia all day, well done. Okay, Derek, Hungary, Serbia, or a draw? Uh, I'm going to go for Serbia to win. Serbia to win, okay. Uh, double N, Hungary, Serbia, or a draw? I think it's a draw. One draw. One. 1-1, one, one. okay, same as usual. Okay, and Andy Mack? Uh, going for a hungry win. Hungry win, okay. So it's actually 2-2-2. Two, two, two. Well done, guys. <laughs> We've split it down even. Okay, thank you. Have a great week, folks. Um, all right, folks, we're going away right now. Um, I hope you enjoy the show this evening. As I mentioned, we always have uh, quite a few serious topics. Um, of course, we brought up head injuries, concussions, so on and so forth. So do, again, look after yourselves. Last week, we had mental health. Again, if you're not feeling well, reach out and talk to people. Next week, we have... Um, you know, some more interesting things to bring up, and I think you'll enjoy, because we're going to cover a very dark period in Irish history and Irish sporting history that has actually uh, brought us forward and actually brought sports forward and brought a lot of um, understanding between Ireland and England. Um, it is, of course, Bloody Sunday. So we're going to speak about that next week at the end of the show, but of course we're going to be covering all the very best news, views, reviews, previews and interviews in the world of sports, especially the Russian Premier League and the English Premier League and looking back on this week in football. Remember, Russia have it all to do against Serbia midweek. They are away Wednesday at 10.45 Moscow time. Okay, so, um, oh, and quick, before we go away, a couple of goals have already gone in in this evening's matches. Uh, Czech Republic are 1-0 up against Israel, and Belgium, as we kind of said, are 1-0 up against England. Okay, uh, still no score in that Hungary and Serbia game. Folks, thank you much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I know my mum was listening back in Ireland, so mum, how are you doing? And um, I'll talk with you very soon as well. To everyone else, have a brilliant week. Thank you so much for listening. And we're going to go out um, pumped up. We're going to go out with Mumford and Sons, and I will wait. Because I will wait. I will be going home to wait, and then coming back in next Sunday, of course, to talk to you all again. So until then, until next week, take care of yourselves and each other. Capital Sports with Alan Moore.
you And I 